1: Hello and welcome to Better Than Yesterday. I'm Osha Ginsberg. Thank you so much for being here. This is a, a, a tri weekly podcast that is here to make your day today better than yesterday. And we've been doing it since 2013 by having conversations with people from all over the world, from all walks of life, some of them experts in their field. And in each conversation, oh, I know certainly I, and I certainly hope you hear something, learn something, realize something that makes my day better than yesterday. And look, honestly, it's a cheap way for me to find better guidance in my life, but I wanted to share it with you. And it was awesome. It's awesome that uh, since I started it, a lot of people want to be on this journey with me. Thank you so much to everyone that uh, showed up and came along to the Allegra Spender event uh, last week and the great feedback I've had about that. It's uh, really great. I'm just, you know, I, I honestly don't care who it is you vote for, but I'm just grateful to... You know, you can't be what you can't see, and to actually hear a politician speak from a place that isn't coming uh, from a party line, uh, something that's coming from a place of humanity, it's nice to hear. And um, if you can recognise that in the local member of your area, great. Uh, If you don't recognise it in the local member of your area, we've got a chance. We've got a chance here. If you feel like it, the way to do it would, would be to put an independent or a green first, and then just put the people that are funded by fossil fuel companies further down the list. But, yeah, you know, that's one way to do it. It's up to you, whatever you want to do. So here on Wednesdays, we like to go back. And uh, Bree, uh, my researcher and uh, one of my producers here, she um, is uh, flicking through the back catalogs and finding episodes that resonate with her because I've got my favourites, but my favourites are my favourites. And she's finding things that are different to my favourites, and it's great to go back and listen to them again. And today we are revisiting my conversation with Mike Munro, Mike is one of the most recognisable and most respected names in Australian journalism. He became a household name as one of the early uh, reporters of uh, the Australian Sunday night magazine show, 60 Minutes. He hosted the nightly show, A Current Affair, before it became what it is today. He also did This Is Your Life, yes, for the big book and everything. I met Mike in 2017. He came to our apartment um, when we were living there. He was gearing up t- to release a show on Foxtel called Lawless: The Real Bush Rangers, which is a documentary that explored I guess the romanticism that Australia has with bush rangers. Mike's been quite public about his childhood, it wasn't always the easiest. He was raised by a single mum and Mike found out later in life that Monroe was not in fact
2: his actual surname. Mum in in her often in her drunkenness would would you know she was a name caller but but she would often say to me even when i was eight and nine ten oh you're only from a family of murderers and bush rangers anyway and i had no idea what she meant until i was in my 30s i was i was with 60 minutes and my father who was dying then sat me down and said look our name's not munro i said what I mean, I've had you know I had bylines on on <laughs> national television called, mate. What are you talking about? He said, well, our name's Kenneth, K-E-N-N-I-F-F. We're related to the last bush rangers in Australian history. I I have two great uncles, one of whom was hanged in Brisbane jail in nineteen oh three, and for killing a policeman and a station manager, and then incinerating their bodies, and then breaking their bodies up and leaving remnants of their flesh and bone in police saddlebags for the police to find. And the name was Kenneth. I was to be baptised Michael Kenneth Munro. Fifty years later, and another generation, mum was so ashamed of the history, she whispered to the priest, it's supposed to be Kenneth. So I'm boring old Michael Kenneth. Kenneth. Then I started to research them at Trinity College in Dublin as I was doing lots of stories on the IRA for 60 minutes in those days and I started to research re- research the Keneefs. So they were initially from Tipperary, C-U-N-N-I-F-F-E and they moved out in the 1860s but because they couldn't read or write, they were absolutely bog Irish and a lot of my journalistic colleagues will say today that I still can't read and write. They they the, When the police were busting them, they became Kenneth. So the C-U-N-N became K-E-N-N. And that's what the family became. My grandfather was called Patrick Kenneth, who was the same name as his cousin who was hanged. And he was so ashamed of the history that he, he changed his name illegally overnight to Henry Munro. Had five children, the youngest of whom was my father. They all were illegally Munro most of their lives until the old man died. And when the death certificate was issued in the name of Munro, they became legally Munro. Right. We, Lee, and my wife and I have Sean, our, um, our firstborn child, is Sean. And when he was um, born, we nick- we named him Sean Kneef after the correct Tipperary spelling. He loves the history. He embraces it. So it's gone from that shame and, and secrecy to the, the latest generations who have embraced it.
1: Because there was a lot of, there was a lot of uh, shame about being of convict blood uh and of being you know once was a convict and you know i guess back then you could say, oh no no no, no. i came here as a free man no one need know that you were up in morton bay jail for five years and then suddenly you you show up in in sydney town you know no one need know um but I, i i wasn't i wasn't aware that there was such shame around um the bush ranging
2: you know criminals and their families yeah yeah and 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 look as we discussed earlier, there's the, the, the series that's, that's on Foxtel at the moment, and, and, and that series surrounds the descendants of both the policemen who were killed by the Bush Rangers, Ned Kelly, Ben Hall, Captain Moonlight, and the Kenneths, and the descendants of the Bush Rangers themselves. But even the descendants of the policemen, upstanding, decent citizens, even those families have not talked about their police hero relatives because they were associated with Ben Hall or Ned Kelly so there's there's a that doesn't make sense, but there's a shame on all sides mm. in some respects um but certainly from our point of view i can i can understand i can understand the the shame and i and I've always thought look you know i i've I've never felt any shame about it i couldn't do anything about it i wasn't around at the time i certainly you know i'm very sorry for the doyle and the dalkey families the 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 two the two guys who were murdered by my great uncles um but you know i wanted to tell the story and 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 the, and the journalist in me said wow these guys are the last bush rangers mm. that was the, that was the the hook for me the last bush rangers the last ones to hang for the crime w- well no no the the very last bush rangers in australian history right. because the the battery was hanged jimmy was his sentence was commuted to life and he didn't die until 1941 as a recluse tin opal miner in charters towers I've been to his gravesite, so we still had a bushranger alive during World War Two. Wow! So, in in that sense, so it's I, I I wanted to tell their story and certainly not defend them in any way at all. Mm. No, no, no way to. In fact, the production company Gene Pool Productions, who were, who helped produce the series, said, "Look, you know, we're we're going to come up with some new Ned Kelly stuff that's going to upset a lot of the Kelly fans." And in relation to your relatives, what happens if we find out that you know? that they did do it. I said, well, I don't doubt for a second that they did it or other members of their family did it. And as far as upsetting people, I'm your man. I've spent a a career upsetting people. As long as it's fair and accurate and ethical, (laughs) hey, get me there now. I want to keep upsetting people from management down.
1: (laughs) Mike Monroe seems to have never really shied away from a difficult story. He's a newsman through and through. And I want to
2: know, how, how did he find his way to journalism? I decided at 13, um, I, 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 I'm the only child of a, of a single mum who was a tragic alcoholic, um, housekeeper, and I grew up in a monastery. Mum was a housekeeper for 12 Morris Brothers, and um, that's another story. But uh, at 13, she said, you know, she loved newspapers, she loved reading newspapers, she loved columnists, and said, maybe maybe you could be a journalist. And that was when I was about 12, and it really stuck in my mind. And then my wayward father, who was absolutely a modern-day bushranger, who became a Santa Claus character in my life, brought me a tape recorder he turned up with Robin Hood suit or a Superman suit or a Davy Crockett hat once or twice a year outside the school. That was my whole relationship with my father growing up. And, um, he turned up with a tape recorder and this tape recorder became an amazing escape from mum's very violent alcoholism. And, I was, you know, I had three mates. They were the only male mentors in my life. We're still good friends today. Still have regular card nights 50 years later. And um, they were, man was about to step on the moon. They were the three astronauts. I was the interviewer. What do you expect to find? You know, how will you eat up there? How will you go to the toilet? Aliens, UFOs. Sometimes they wanted to be the reporter, but it was my tape recorder, and they couldn't be the reporter. So I asked myself, you know, and I think everyone's got a higher power. um I asked myself, where the hell is this coming from? Because there were no journalists in the family. It was only mum suggesting that I might want to get into newspapers. And it was electronic, it wasn't it wasn't print. But that was really the the beginning of of I guess, you know, I used to walk around the shops and ask the pie shop how many pies they'd sold. Vietnam War was, you know, was raging. Should we be in Vietnam War? Moratorium rallies. Um it was bizarre. Um so this, this became a wonderful escape. So me. it was a portable battery-operated... Portable battery with cassettes, so the, yeah. the, the old old cassettes. And, you know, and I'd, I couldn't afford a trench coat because I was a mad Superman fan in those days. And Clark Kent, always, I loved Clark Kent more than the superhero, and he always used to have a white trench coat. So I went and bought myself an army disposable coat like an old brown number, but I could feed the, the, the feed the cord of the microphone down at the coming out of the sleeve because I just thought you shouldn 't see any wires, and i 'd have the, the tape recorder over my shoulder, and i 'd go around interviewing people you know just for anything, and then roll it back and we'd roll, roll it all back, and we 'd listen to our unbroken voices and um, and that 's where it all sort of started, but still, I never gave up on newspapers and then became a copy boy at seventeen. Did a cadetship? Were you going to courts? And and I had to learn shorthand and and um, and.
1: So there was quite the talent pipeline in those days, wasn't there? There was like you you came in at a certain level and you worked very, very hard
2: to learn every aspect of what the paper did. Exactly. So you came as a copy boy, you didn't know when you were going to cadet, get a cadetship, and you just had to sit in the radio room, listen to fire, ambulance, police radios, and then tell the journalists that you've just heard this, you know, the police are on their way to a certain address uh, at, uh, you know, at, at Bondi or Brighton or, or wherever, and you better get there. And then the reporter would go out there with a the photographer and a driver and they'd do the, So then you'd get a cadetship for the first year, you know you do TV programs and shipping, sitting up the back of the room as a copy boy, you're down the front, running, and you're right, running this the, 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 the copy downstairs to the hot metal, Re- reporters are running around, photographers are running out of the door, the editors yelling, where is it, where is it, we've got to get a go, I'm getting goosebumps, I'm getting goosebumps now, uh-huh. just talking about those days, and and I feel for the communication students these days who sit in a classroom with, you know, with people, I'm sorry, but... You know, people who aren't really good journalists because they're not in journalism. Right. Teaching them. So I learnt on the floor and and it was fabulous. But
1: you're learning with that that pressure of the daily deadline every single day. And,
2: and 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 hanging there wanting to run out the door with those journalists and photographers. And when you get the chance, when you finally in your second year cadetship and you're allowed to go to coroner's court or or general suburban courts of petty sessions, that's where you would start, and then to the airport round to see the Jackson Five or, or, or Sinatra <laughs> or, you know, movie stars coming through. Um I'm getting goosebumps talking about that. I think really, they were probably among the most exciting days of 35, 40 years career. It is rare but lovely to meet someone so passionate
1: about what it is that they do. Mike is one of the lucky few to have found a path through life that aligns with what he feels is his calling. He's had a lot of influence and I guess power in the Australian media for quite a long time. But does Mike see it that way? Now, this is, bear in mind, this is five years ago, and it's interesting to hear. But his thoughts about the power the press has are fascinating, and we'll get to them right after this.
3: Hold up.
0: plushcare.com slash weight loss
1: Mike Munro has hosted two of Australia's major news and current affairs programs 60 Minutes and A Current Affair and with that comes a lot of privilege comes a lot of influence comes a lot of power and I ask Mike when was it that
2: he got a sense of how powerful the press is I didn't use the word power um but it, it's not—it's not a word I'm comfortable with, because you can use it too often, and oh. you can—and you, can, you can start abusing it too. Yeah. Um, and I think it's less these days. I think it's far less. Politicians think, oh yeah, right, another 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 flash trash current affairs program. You know, it'll go away. I don't think they—they they care certainly about mainstream free to air as much. I think they respect ABC as I do. And, Far more. Look at look at the impact that Four Corners makes these days, and look at the impact that Sunday night and sixty minutes don't make. Um, but yeah, look. I, th- I think back in in my day as a young reporter, there was there was a, 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 a definite influence, and you could make a difference. Politicians were were, were worried about it. They were, and there weren't, and there wasn't online. There wasn't Facebook. There wasn't Twitter. Um, so that was mainstream media. But you have to be really, really. Careful! I've always tried to avoid the word power because it it can get out of hand.
1: And, you know, we've, we've seen that obviously in being used for good and and ill over our lives uh, with the way that um, whoever controls the media and controls the narrative of the media. When did you first become aware, let me ask you this, when did you first become aware of the controllers of the owners <laughs> of where you were working pulling sway?
2: When I saw Rupert Murdoch who in those days was probably in Australia for, you know, six months of the year. He'd just gone to New England. He wasn't even in America. Um, Walking into the editorial of The Mirror and sitting down to write an editorial to have Gough Whitlam elected in 1972. Then three years later, seeing him walk back into the editorial, he, he was coming and going in those those intervening years, and sitting down to write an editorial to have Whitlam sacked in 1975. You know, I thought this is not right. This is not the way to go. I mean, this is too much influence. So, which is why, you know, today I, I'm I'm on the sideline cheering CBS buying the Channel. Ten, which I think is fa- fabulous. It's a, a major, ma- the number one network in America, very highly respected. Lots of money buying into you know poor old Channel Ten, um, you know, the worst house on the street, and and hopefully it'll really give it a good boost. I'm I'm, I'm glad the Murdochs didn't get it.
1: Do you think that the over the years the public have become more aware of who
2: controls their news? Sure. Well, particularly in this country, I mean, 70%, but probably more now, probably 80% of newspapers in this country are controlled by, by News Corp, by by the Murdoch group. Um, and, look, you know, and I say this as an ex-Murdoch copy boy. I mean, I, 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 I don't know him well, but I certainly Rupert and I would know each other to say hello to. Um, and I'm very grateful to him about, you know, I... Pestered the hell out of him when I was 18, letting him know that A, I was alive, and B, I wanted to go to New York one day as one of the reporters. But but I look now and, you know, too much power in, in, in too few hands, and um, it, it, it's not good.
1: Well, so you were really going up and knocking on the door saying, Hey, by the way, I'm Mike Monroe. I know I'm 18 years old, but I'm working here for.
2: That's exactly right. In fact, it was Michael. My, my byline in, in early news, um, television days was Michael Munro. Uh, as respect to mum, mum would, ne- would never allow anyone to call me Mike or Mick. Um, 60 Minutes turned me into Mike, but anyone close to me in my family, my kids, not my kids call me, but my wife, anyone who knows me really well, no one calls me Mike. Nobody. Which is interesting. Um, Yeah, so, you know, Secretary, uh, um, you know, um, Dot Weinberg, I think, is still with Rupert. This is Weinberg, can I say, well, yes, but he, he's got your letter and, and you've been here three times this week. I've told him he will get to meet you, I promise. Okay, all right, well, okay. And, and he was like 100 metres away from me in those days. Finally I got in, Rebitt said, yep, what did you want? I said, look, Mr Murdoch, I just wanted to let you know that I'm alive. Literally, I'm alive. I would like to be a reporter one, uh, one day in New York because he, he, by, by now he'd sort of moved into America and New York was the go. London was the go earlier on, but now as you were a reporter, you were fairly if you needed to get to New York. How's your shorthand going? I said, very well, thank you. I'm, I'm doing 80 words a minute, you know, which I hated shorthand. I'm doing 80 words a minute. Um, you Attending all the cadet lectures? Yes, yep. Well, one day you'll get there. And you wouldn't believe it. Like, um, what would it be? 11 years later, we ended up having dinner at... Windows on the world, which was the 107th floor of the World Trade Center, and I didn't think he even remembered me. And, and we were walking out, and he said, uh, "See, I told you you'd get here one day." Only uh, died. Only died. Mike Munro is
1: a very hardworking person, and he really does. He goes after what he wants. If you want to hear the full conversation with Mike, it's great, and um, it was pretty awesome to have him in the house. To be honest, uh, you can scroll back, and he don't he knocked on the door. He didn't, you know, kick it in because. Mike Monroe loved a bit of a door bust, sure did. Um, It was great, but I guess I'm not a dodgy carpenter or a mechanical, whatever. It's back in the podcast feed. If you you scroll on back, you'll find it there. And if there's anyone uh, in your life who actually wants to work in journalism or is passionate about journalism, it's a really good listen. Send them the link to the full episode because I guess you really want to know why it is you do that job and that's a good place to stand when you get on your feet, grab the mic and ask someone a question at a press conference, you know. Mike's got heaps of pretty brilliant stories. We could all learn from his stories, not only just about journalism, but also there's a really good one in there about learning when to say no. And I, you know, it's worth it just to listen to him for that. I'll see you on Friday. I'll check right back in here with you then. Thanks very much to Andy Mar for cutting this, Brie Steele for producing it, Toe Hyder on the music and Rachel Barrett, the EP of everything. Until we speak on Friday, sleep well and dream of beautiful things. Hold
3: up.